gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Episode number four, Simon Head and Shamat Sandu bringing you a British take on the world of mixed martial arts. Sandu, the build-up has started for real now. UFC 202 is the big one. Uh, I'm about to head off, which is why we're recording this a day early. Um, has McGregor v. Diaz buzz grabbed you yet? You know what? That's a very interesting question. Um... I think that's the question a lot of media members have been asking themselves. Uh, I've seen a few kind of generally asked their followers and fans out there. And for me, it, it hasn't yet. It, I mean, it's slowly building up, but it hasn't quite caught the imagination like it did the first time around. And I think there's a few reasons for that. I think with the UFC 196, it was an 11-day turnaround. It was out of the blue. Um, they had to kind of do everything very, very quickly. It was raw. That press conference in that small gym in Stockton just kind of gave us all the sound bites you needed for that particular fight week. With this second fight, this rematch, because it was supposed to be held at UFC 200, and we all know what happened there with McGregor um, failing to attend a press conference and then basically be given the boot off the card by the UFC, we've had a lot more time. And I think during that time, we've seen some respect, some mutual respect shown between Diaz and McGregor. Because I guess they both realise they are the perfect dance partner for each other and they're going to make a lot of money in this second fight. And we, we heard McGregor in the last weekend's press conference call for the media essentially say that he's definitely open uh, for a rematch already alluding to a, to a trilogy fight. Um, so it hasn't quite caught the imagination just yet, but I, I'm, I'm certain as we roll into the next couple of days rolling into fight week when we have another press conference and some of the media workouts and s- some more um, interviews start popping up from both Diaz and McGregor, uh, it'll certainly um, you know, capture my imagination, your imagination, you're going to be there. And I, I guess on fight night, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the fight. More than anything else, with the trash talk aside, with the hype and the promotion put to one side, I'm really looking forward to the fight because both guys do have a full camp. They know who they're fighting and they know who they're preparing uh, for and that's what's making this rematch most interesting for me. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be a bit of a slow burn. I think once the once the fight week stuff really kicks in, I think we're gonna, I think things will start to ramp up a little bit. I think McGregor also knows that more than more than maybe his previous fights, this fight is really going to carry the card. Uh, if you think the last you know the last couple of McGregor fights, they've been on real superstar stellar fight cards, and uh, the fight card for this one is is strong. But it isn't what you would call sort of A plus list, if that makes any sense. You know, we haven't got multiple title fights on this card. This is really all about McGregor versus Diaz, uh, and uh, I think promotionally, you know, a lot of it is going to sit with Conor McGregor. I know Nate isn't isn't a great talker. He'll answer the questions he's asked, and uh, you know, he's going in there with a lot of confidence. He can sit back, safe in the knowledge that he's already won against this guy. But for McGregor, really. The onus on the promotion of the fight really sits with him. And uh, I think we'll see him turn up the heat a little bit in, in, in the coming days. I think it's going, to be, it's going to be an exciting fight week. Just, if nothing else, just to see the dynamic here. Because before, obviously, McGregor was coming in on fire. And now this time, he's coming in off a loss to the guy who he's facing. So, you know, there's only so far you can really go with the trash talk and, and all this sort of stuff. And... You know, he's pushing he's pushing the boundaries a little bit. You know, he's, he's going in there and saying he's going to finish the guy. He boxed his head off first time around. But, you know, the unavoidable truth is uh, he got rocked and then he got submitted. And uh, that was against a guy who had an eight-day fight camp. So how's it going to go this time around? It's going to be fant- fantastic atmosphere in the T-Mobile arena. 
it's going to be uh, fascinating to watch during the week. Um, and uh, yeah, I can't wait to get over there and just as much as anything, just observe the body language and the dynamic between the pair of them. I think it's going to be it's going to be fantastic stuff. But obviously, it's uh, it's impossible not to talk about the world of sport this this past week and not mention the Olympic Games. And um, MMA has even crept into the Olympic headlines, Sandu. Yes, absolutely. So I haven't had a chance to watch too much of the Olympics this time round. I've kind of just been following it on on social media as best as I can because I've just been busy. Um, but yes, Kayla Harrison. So for those that perhaps don't know, uh, Kayla Harrison is a an American judoka who won a gold medal at the London Olympics four years ago, and she she did it again. She done it again uh, this past week. Uh, she got an, another Olympic gold medal um, in judo. And then in the post-fight kind of, well, I say post-fight because I'm used to saying post-fight all the time. But in the uh, the post-match or post-ceremony uh, kind of press conference, um, she was asked about potentially transitioning over to MMA. And of course, if, for, for those of us that live in the world of MMA and in the MMA community, when you think of judo, you think about Ronda Rousey, you think about the fact that at the 2008 Beijing Olympics, she won a bronze medal. And then in the following years, transitioned over into MMA and w- was able to use her judo skills, you know, very effectively uh, for a long period of time. And then it got her a long way. And I suppose, you know, when the Olympics come around, I think everyone's kind of looking out for who perhaps can come out of the, the judo or the wrestling as a next potential crossover star into MMA. But here's, here's a quote that I want to read you, Simon, that, that she gave to the media uh, in Rio this week. She said, after a judo match, you shake the person's hand and you give them a hug and you bow to them to show respect. In MMA, it's not like that. And I don't know if I'm made. I don't know if I'm cut out for the world where you get fights based on how pretty you are and how much you talk and not necessarily what you're worth in the ring. So for me right now, it's just going to be focused on being a two-time Olympic champion, enjoy the moment, live in the moment and never say never. But right now, the answer no, the answer is no to MMA. Now, having said that, she did go on to say in a, in a, in a following interview, I'm going to have a talk with my coach and talk to my manager and see what offers are out there and see what I'm going to do. Who doesn't want to be rich and famous at some point in their life? I yearn for that, but I also see the platform. I see how many eyes watch MMA and how much reach I could have with something like that. So it's tempting. So that's very interesting, Simon. She, she's basically not closing the door completely on MMA. But she's raising a few good points with regards to who makes the most money, who's kind of, quote unquote, a star. And I, and, I, and I believe with MMA, we both know this, Simon, it's as much entertainment as it is a sport. Um, but, but what have you made of her comments and what do you think the chances are that perhaps in the future we can see a crossover into MMA? Well, I think it's, it's certainly viable. And, and this is one of the things with MMA compared to some of these Olympic sports. You look at wrestling and, and judo as two prime examples of this. Once you've reached the Olympic standard and you've won your Olympic gold medal or you know, you've achieved an Olympic finishing position, where is there to go after that? You know, there isn't a professional big time uh, judo tour that's gonna that's gonna keep you gainfully employed and in, 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 in money for the next few years. So that's where MMA comes in and it offers opportunities for the likes of Kayla Harrison and uh, obviously Ronda Rousey was was the star that sort of broke those barriers down and opened things up in the UFC. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I do think the thing that she said about the bowing and the respect is a little bit off beam. I think yeah, there are instances where fighters uh, after fights are still not too still not too friendly, and Ronda's one of those who you could maybe put in that bracket. Um, but I think in the vast majority of cases, when you see a fight. Yeah, you get all the build-up and all the trash talk, and sometimes you get a bit of pushing and shoving it away in. But normally, when the fights are done and dusted, you know they'll shake hands, they'll embrace in the octagon, and generally, generally things are pretty respectful afterwards. So I thought that was a little bit unfair. Um, the thing about getting fights based on how pretty you are—that's a tricky one. Um, I think that's—I think that's—I certainly think that if you if you happen to be uh, photogenic. That certainly increases your marketability, um, and and uh, brands will want to align themselves with you if you're successful and photogenic. Um, and that's probably why we keep this as an audio podcast, right, Si? Absolutely, mate. I'm I'm made for radio. <laughs> I'm made, I am going to be doing some video next week, but largely I'm going to be behind that camera. That's that's <laughs> that is firmly where I belong, my friend. Um, but yeah, it's. I think I think with something like I think maybe Kayla Harrison's comments are. A little bit harsh towards MMA. I think there are a couple of valid points in there. Um, sort of, if you if, if you sort of peel the layers off it, you know, being able to to uh, promote yourself and be a little bit out there and a bit more loud than perhaps you would normally be certainly helps. You look at, as you say, you look at who's at the top of the sport and who's doing well. Invariably, it's the guys and girls who are making the most noise. You know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, as the, as as the, as the phrase goes. But. Um, I think just walking into the UFC as an Olympic gold medalist is more than enough clout to get eyeballs onto your onto your fights. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if um, if Kayla Harrison receives some in, in, invitations to come and at least check out an event at first, and then maybe have a chat. Whether it's the UFC, I can certainly imagine Bellator being interested. Um, and uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what what, what happens from here. Um, for for me, I think it would be great to have another Olympic gold medalist in the UFC. Obviously, we've got uh, Henry Cejudo, um, who claimed who claimed uh, freestyle wrestling gold a few Olympic Games back, um, and now he's worked his way up to become a a world title challenger at flyweight. Let's get more in. Let's get more in. If we can get more Olympic level athletes in there, all that does is it it helps enhance the credibility of the sport in the eyes of people who aren't that familiar with it. So. Um, I'd love to see Kayla Harrison in the UFC or in Bellator just competing at the elite level in mixed martial arts. It's going to take time because she's great at one discipline. She's going to have to build up the other ones. But uh, that's a project that I'd love I'd love to watch develop over the over the months and years to come for sure. Well, she's got time on her hand. I mean, she's got she's 26 years old. The only thing that I think that worries not worries me, but uh, presents a bit of a challenge is she is used to competing at 78 kilos, which is roughly 170 pounds. Now, if if memory serves me correctly, Ronda Rousey, when she won her bronze medal, she was competing at around 155 pounds. So, I mean, we've seen how, you know, tough it is or, you know, how bleak um, Ronda Rousey looked when she weighs, weighs in at 135 pound weight limit. So perhaps it might be the case where, an Invicta has a featherweight um, division, or maybe in, in the next year to two years, we see the UFC open up um, a featherweight division. Then things open up with regards to Kayla Harrison. And, and maybe uh, that weight class kind of draws up or brings up, you know, another talking point. We saw that um, Chris Cyborg 
has got another fight lined up in the UFC, this time in the main event um, in Brasilia, Brazil, uh, coming up in the next couple of months. But it's 140 pounds again. And there was this very, you know, tough to watch um, teaser for a documentary that's coming out um, where it basically shows how tough it was for her to cut weight uh, to hit 140 pounds for uh, UFC 198. And she's literally in tears and she's crying. And it just kind of asked the question, you know, is the UFC doing the right thing here? Why not just allow Cyborg uh, to fight at her natural um, you know, weight class, which is 145 pounds? Why make her cut the extra five pounds when you don't actually have a 140 pound division in the first place? So, I mean, what do you think, Cy? I mean, A, is the UFC doing the right thing here? by making Cyborg cut to 140 pounds so they can showcase her in a main event in one of their cars in Brazil? Uh, And should the UFC maybe fast-track a 145-pound weight class and a weight division? Because you've got a star and a draw in Cyborg who can be a dominant champion uh, like like Ronda Rousey was for quite a few years. Yeah, absolutely. I think the time's right for a 145-pound women's division now. I think Cyborg, I don't think she can make 135. And, you know, I saw that footage as well. And, you know, to see that footage and then expect her to try and make 135 seems almost inhumane. You know, she it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem fair. Uh, the problem that Cyborg has is she's an incredibly talented, dangerous, powerful athlete, and she's having to deplete herself significantly um, to make a weight class where she can make some to uh, make some significant money. I think there is enough talent there now to to make a 145 pound division. If you look at what's happened with Holly Holm of late. Um, she's obviously lost back-to-back fights. She, I think, would be uh, more comfortable at 145 pounds. I think Misha Tate uh, could 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 move up. I think she, she I think, mind you, I think Misha could could even move down if it was a 125 pound division. Um, but she she'd move up and down to take a challenge. I think uh, I think Ronda Rousey, uh, if and when she comes back, it gives her more options as well. So I think I think there is the possibility there. For the UFC, even if they don't create a full division, hold some fights at 145 pounds. You know the uh, the fighting talent is out there now, um, and I think the Holly Holm Cyborg fight is now ready to be made. I think that's the natural next fight for Cyborg, assuming she gets through this uh, this main event in Brasilia intact. And I've got no reason to expect her not to. So I think I think the time's right for it, and especially when we've got a real focus on the dangers of weight cutting. And, uh, you know, with the new weighing procedures and all the rest of it, it's kind of hypocritical that we're looking at this and thinking, yeah, this is great. But then on the same, on, on, you know, in in almost another breath, other people are saying, right, Cyborg needs to make 135. She needs, she can't make 135. You know, anyone with a hole in their head can see that. So, you know, I, I, I just, it just seems, it just seems inhumane to ask her to do that. And you'd like to think that, the time is now for the UFC to pull the trigger on that featherweight division and get it started. You know, we've got we've got strength strength in depth at, at 135. We've got a strong division at 115. Why not open it up a bit more and let's have a 100, 145-pound division uh, and really build another another star or two in the UFC's women's divisions? It seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. But, but moving on, I mean, the, the majority of the show... Uh, when we talked about it off air, was to talk about UFC 202. That's the big event. Uh, it's the, probably the event of the year. And, um, and and like you said, things have started to ramp up now. And uh, Conor McGregor held a 
in-person media, uh, you know, conference, I suppose, or press conference of his own um, to the, the media that attended in Las Vegas. And uh, and he didn't disappoint with his quote, Simon. He um, he got in his jabs at the WWE once again. He, he brought up Mayweather and he also compared Nate Diaz's performance to one Homer Simpson of the Simpsons. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean... It, it was absolutely... I mean, I'll read the quote on, on Homer Simpson because that just blew up on all of the um, social media. He said, Diaz is a welterweight now. He's about 200 pounds. I couldn't have made it at any... I, I, could have, I, I couldn't have made it at any weight other than the weight I lost at. I was controlling the contest. I was slapping the head off him. I wanted to keep it as it is. I wanted no changes and I got it. I have reasons why I performed the way, but tune in August 20th and you'll see the real me. He was like Homer Simpson in that fight. He just kept taking shots and I couldn't hit him anymore. <laughs> I mean, how does he come up with this stuff, Simon? How does McGregor always come up with a fresh take, bringing in yet another element of pop culture that just blows up all over social media? He's a smart man. You know, we spoke about this last last week when we were talking about when he picked his fight with, with the entire WWE roster, you know, um, he even had a little jab at Ric Flair again. I mean, he, but he did it. He did it in in kind of a backhanded way because he called him a legend as well. But then he also he then also went on and said that you know the WWE roster are basically a lot of bums. It was it's kind of interesting. But but yeah, no, the, you know the Homer Simpson thing was was kind of funny. And I mean, clear, I mean he's a smart guy. He's surrounded by other smart guys as well. And uh, you know, just in there, sort of laughing and joking around in the gym, I'm sure some of this stuff comes up. And they think, right, yes, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this. And um, this is the sort of stuff that that's going to help sell the fight. So I'm all I'm all for it. I think it's great. Uh, but as I said before, you know, there is the unavoidable fact that you got beat last time, uh, and he's, mm. he's 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 not talking about about the fact that after boxing Diaz's head off, Diaz took all of those punches no problem, and then hit him with one big shot, and that completely changed the fight. Um, but no, I th- it's interesting. He, he he gave a whole load of different different quotes. I mean, you know, the whole trash talk thing. He said it's not so much trash talk. I'm talking the truth. Um, and again, he referred to Diaz as a, a heavy bag with eyeballs, which I su- it sounds derogatory, but I'd take that as a big compliment because what that says is this is a guy who can take a lot of punishment. And uh, you know, the big difference with McGregor in this fight, I think, is going to be the fact that he's. He's prepared to go the the, uh, the full five at 170, and that's probably the biggest. Uh, that's probably going to be the biggest difference with him is that, yeah, he had a full fight camp last time, but he was training for a 155 pound fight, and then he ended up agreeing to fight at, at a higher weight. This time, he's prepared for a 170 pound fight the whole way through. So, um, I think he's going to be in better nick for this fight. But promotionally and, and, and getting his work, you know, getting the word out there and, and getting his name out there and making headlines, there isn't anybody better in anywhere in sport than Conor McGregor. Nobody does it better than him. You can't, there's nobody in boxing who does it better than him. You know, Floyd Mayweather does not create headlines like this. Um, and, uh, you know, Conor McGregor, when he says stuff, people listen because it's either controversial or it's funny or it references something that, that that's relevant to the... You know, the, the zeitgeist at that point in time. You know, it, whatever it is, McGregor's got his finger on the pulse. And um, all it does is it does, you know, it helps the bottom line. And at the end of the day, it's all about winning fights, owning belts and collecting checks 
for, for, for Conor McGregor. And he's going to collect a big one at UFC 202. Whether he wins or not remains to be seen, but he's certainly going to earn a few quid, that's for sure. Absolutely. Um, and I, I don't think anyone's taking that away with regards to how amazing he is on the mic, promotionally, on social media. And, of course, we all know he's going to make a truckload full of money from this event, like he always does. But I think what we've got now with McGregor is we're going to find out how he handles a defeat in regards to how he handles coming back from that defeat. He's the one with the pressure on his shoulders. Diaz has beaten him already. McGregor is the one that needs to come out here, put on a performance and back up everything he's been saying and everything he's been talking about for the last couple of months. All the excuses in regards to why he lost the first time round. He's got a lot of pressure on his, on his on his shoulders, and there's a lot riding, not just uh, on McGregor, but the UFC and the future, and also his legacy as well moving forward. I mean, he started the year by um, saying in that Rafael de Sanos, um 196 press conference that every year is his year, and no one can take away 2015. That was Conor McGregor's year. And in many respects, maybe every year is his year with regards to how much money he earns and, and how big his star actually gets year upon year with some of the celebrities he's rubbing shoulders with. But with regards to in-octagon performances, if he loses to Nate Diaz a second time in 2016, this will not be Conor McGregor's year. If anything, it'll be Nate Diaz's year. So I think maybe holding this press conference on Friday and some of the other interview opportunities that they will be presented to him uh, throughout fight week might just help him kind of get along. I'm really interested to find out what his psyche is. John Kavanagh has come out as well in an interview, his head coach at SBG Island saying, you know, there's a lot of pressure riding on him, you know, to make sure that he gets the tactics and strategy and, and gets McGregor prepared as best as possible because there's a lot riding on his own reputation. So going back to what we were saying earlier on, I think, with this particular fight, um, the buzz, the, the promotion, the hype isn't really getting me too much, but I don't think it needs to. I'm really curious and interested to find out what McGregor we see on fight night, how he performs against Diaz, what Diaz we get on fight night with a full camp. And, and the result it'll, will be something that will be a major talking point, whichever way it goes, in the weeks and months in the, in the aftermath. Absolutely. I think the fascinating thing about this whole fight is, this is this is almost a crossroads fight for Conor McGregor. I mean, let's let's make no mistake here. McGregor is going to earn money after this fight, irrespective of the result. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's not finished in any way, shape, or form if he gets beat again. But his legitimacy as an elite level superstar in terms of fighting level will be will be tested hugely this weekend. We know he's a superstar in terms of drawing power and in terms of eyeballs and in terms of pay-per-view numbers. But when it comes to cutting the mustard against the very best in the world, is he up there with the very best of them in the UFC? Is he a genuine pound-for-pound star? We know he's great at £145. We know this. There's no argument there. Uh, I know people, including me, want him to go back down there and defend that belt. Uh, and he hasn't done that yet. Um, but right now, he's he wants to prove himself as being more than just a one-way champion. He wants to prove himself as a pound-for-pound star. And in order to do that, he's got to get past Nate Diaz. Because if he can't beat Nate Diaz, um, the chances are the, uh, the chance to fight for the uh, UFC lightweight title, which was the original plan all along, that looks a little bit further away. And he might have to work his way in to a title shot at 155 rather than jumping straight in and jumping the queue in what is the most talent-rich division in the UFC. 
So really, this 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 is a big fight for McGregor. If he wins that, uh, the, you know, it's basically his passport to the top of the UFC lightweight division. He can go straight in there and take on Eddie Alvarez, um, and potentially potentially become a two weight world champion. If he loses to Nate Diaz, he really has two options. One is to go back down to 145 and defend his title uh, against a very fired up Jose Aldo, who will not be. Uh, hurling himself at McGregor with reckless abandon like he did the first time round. Um, or he uh, abandons that division, uh, basically relinquishes his title at 145 and jumps into the mix, but not at the top, jumps into the mix at 155, takes on a top contender uh, in order to earn a shot at Eddie Alvarez. Because you can't go in and challenge for the lightweight world title after two back-to-back losses with a guy who's ranked in that division. It just doesn't make sense. Um, and I know a lot of these things haven't made sense in the last few months, but that really doesn't make sense. And uh, and I wrote about this the other day, and money fights are all well and good, but the championships are really what need to, need to count in this business. And right now, they've, they've basically humoured McGregor here. They've, they've given him the opportunity to have this fight again. He took the Diaz fight at short notice to save the show, as he's done before. Um, and he lost. So what they've done is they've given him the courtesy of giving him a rematch. Uh, they've also done him the favour, if that's the right terminology, um, of giving him the fight at the weight class that he's asked it for, which is a straight rematch at, it, at exactly the same weight class as before. Um, now, once he's got this fight out of the way, we need to get back to family business again. We need to get back to what really should matter in this sport, and that's the World Championship belt. So... I think it should be about enjoying this fight, getting the most out of it. But after that, then we've got to get back to the real stuff, which is who's the best fighter on the planet in each weight class. McGregor needs to pick his weight class or weight classes and uh, and go for it. And uh, yeah, if he loses against Diaz, that doesn't change. It just, may, it just means the path is going to be a little bit different. But uh, I think this is a crossroads fight for him for sure. Well, I think it's quite interesting. I mean, money weight class or the money weight division uh, who is most deserving of a title shot who has earned a title shot these are the things that have been a very hot topic in the MMA news cycle over the last couple of weeks and, and rightly so i mean we've got dan henderson who's about to fight michael bisping in manchester for for the, the ufc middleweight champion who's not even ranked in the top 10 we've got tyron woodley who just became the welterweight champion refusing essentially to fight Stephen Wonderboy Thompson in favor of hopefully trying to get a fight with a retired GSP who is now back in the USADA testing pool, which is very interesting, or or perhaps Nick Diaz, um, who last won a fight against BJ Penn, I think four or five years ago. Yeah. And then we've got Eddie Alvarez, who this week in an interview said he wants to join the circus because he wants that circus money, referring to the likes of McGregor and him being able to pick and choose his opponents and, and weight classes and so forth. So that's been a major talking point in regards to does the UFC championship belt mean anything anymore? Um, how champions are kind of essentially picking and choosing their fights. And you can't blame them. I don't, I don't blame the fighters for trying to do and say what they have to to try and make the most money they possibly can. I don't at all whatsoever. But what I thought was a very interesting quote, bringing this back to McGregor, Uh, from Dana White this week. Dana White, in an interview with UFC.com, essentially said that he expects McGregor 
to go back to 145 pounds after UFC 202. What were your thoughts on that, Simon? Especially because he was McGregor was asked about that comment, and he essentially said, "We'll see." He didn't. He was non-committal to that. What did you make of Dana White, knowing you know how Dana White has essentially kind of. Uh, made some comments and statements in the last couple of months only for the total opposite to have happened. What did you make of Dana White actually coming out there and and saying something like that, which is quite a powerful statement in itself? It is, but I think you need to step back and look at the bigger picture here. Dana White's got to keep a lot of fighters happy. If he turns around and says, I'm not bothered if Conor McGregor goes back to 145 or not, you've pissed off the entire UFC featherweight division. So that's really not a smart thing to do. So by saying that he expects McGregor to go back, that doesn't say he is going back. It says that's what he expects to happen. What that does, excuse me, what that does is it keeps Jose Aldo on side. Jose Aldo now knows that McGregor's coming back, hopefully, and he'll get that fight again, which just as McGregor really wants this Diaz rematch, Jose Aldo wants this McGregor rematch every bit as much. Um, Whether it happens or not, I'm not so sure. I'm really not so sure. I think if McGregor wins against Diaz, I don't think we'll see him at 145 again. I think he'll move down to 155 from 170, and that'll be his division. He'll go in there, he'll get a title shot and go from there. But I think what Dana's doing is basically just keeping the ball rolling without actually saying anything. Um, I think, I think without being derogatory, it's a nothing statement. There's no substance to that statement. It doesn't say something will happen. It doesn't say something won't happen. He says, I expect it to happen. That doesn't that doesn't actually mean anything at this stage because uh, especially when McGregor instantly uh, followed up with, we'll see. He didn't, that, that doesn't scream, yes, I'm going to do that. Uh, he's waiting to see what happens in this Diaz fight as I'm sure Dana White is as well. I think we're all, we're all big boys here. We're all grown-ups. We all understand what's going on. Uh, This fight will determine what happens with Conor McGregor. And if he wins, I firmly believe that he will fight Eddie Alvarez for the World Lightweight title next. And he will vacate the featherweight championship in the process. Uh, Because I think that's that's the logical thing to happen. If he loses to Diaz, I think he probably will have to move down to 145. Um, But we'll see. I I don't think it's... I don't think it's a massive statement. I know a lot of people have flagged it up as being a big one. I, I honestly, I don't think it's. I think it's literally Dana um, keeping things, keeping things rolling along, without making any commitments to anything. Because at this point, it would be unwise to. So that's that's basically how I see it, anyway. Well, there is one thing I wanted to bring up with you, Simon. It's something you mentioned earlier on um, in the show, and that was the atmosphere that you're expecting. Uh, from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas uh, on Saturday night. Ticket sales haven't been going so well, or tickets haven't been shifting as fast as they have for previous Conor McGregor fights in Las Vegas. Um, It's been reported by various members of the media. There's been screenshots of tickets available on Ticketmaster. Um, There's also been uh, the prices have dropped for tickets. Um, what's your theory on that? I mean, I've got a theory, and maybe it's just maybe the UFC have gone back to that McGregor with, with his Irish hardcore fan following well a little bit too much, you know. Uh, with, with, with someone like you know Bisping, or maybe with Ricky Hatton when he was boxing, um, every once in a while you bring him back to the UK to galvanise that passionate hardcore national following and, and fan base before you kind of want to, want them to all make the the trip and travel over to the states for the fight. 
But um, but even speaking to some of our Irish media colleagues, um, you know, the likes of uh, Pete C. Carroll, Niall McGrath over there, at, you know, at Severe MMA, they they have this, they said the same thing. They don't really have too many uh, friends and family and people that they know in their kind of MMA circle that are making the trip out for this one. Um, so, a, why do you think that is, Simon? And b, do you think perhaps the UFC maybe um, thought that the Irish would come once again in the space of what a year to eighteen months, and it's not cheap. For, for, for the Irish to make the trip over to Vegas multiple times a year. And we saw for some fans, it was once in a lifetime just to attend 189 or 194 or 196. So so what's your theory behind ticket sales? And, and hand on your heart, what kind of atmosphere do you think you're going to get on Saturday night if the Irish aren't there in their troves as they have been in the past? I think there's a lot of reasons why perhaps ticket sales have been slow. Let's take a look back at McGregor's last three events. UFC 189, he beat uh, Chad Mendes. That was International Fight Week. That was McGregor's first fight for a world title. So it was a huge week-long jamboree of, of fighting goodness anyway. And then all the Irish piled over to watch McGregor fight for the world title for the very first time. Next fight, UFC 194. That was December, uh, holiday season. People are out having fun. Uh, Vegas was packed. Um, the Irish fans flew over in their droves again to see their man dif- uh, go for the full version of the world title against the man he chased around the world for 12 months on a media tour. So there was an awful lot behind that. The third fight uh, was uh, early early this year uh, against Nate Diaz, but originally it was going to be for another world championship and to make history as, a, as one of the rare two-weight world champions in UFC history. So people, when they bought their tickets and bought their flights and booked their hotels, that's what they were booking for. They were booking for, D, uh, for uh, McGregor versus RDA and a chance to become a two-weight world champion. That was a champion versus champion fight. That was also a fight card with two world championship fights on it. So that added extra, extra oomph to the event in terms of the ticking by in public over in Vegas. So that, those three events, they're all blockbuster superstar events held at really prime times of the year. This one is kind of late summer. Uh, people are mostly will have been away on holiday or are in the process of being away on holiday at the minute. And things are going to, you know, the school year is going to kick off and all that sort of stuff. Um, the fight isn't a world championship fight. McGregor is coming off a loss and there aren't any other world championship fights on the card. So... Factor all those things in, and it is a tougher sell. The other thing, and you know, the Irish fans are, are among the most passionate sporting fans you find anywhere, whether it be rugby, whether it be football, and certainly when it comes to MMA, you know, the fans are legendary for the atmosphere they generate and all the rest of it. But particularly where we live in the UK, and I'm sure it's similar in Ireland, among all that, all that uh, huge passionate fan base, there will be an element of glory supporters. People who will jump on the bandwagon all the while someone's winning, and then when they lose, they lose interest. And that happens whether it's Manchester United, whether it's Liverpool, whether it's Arsenal, or whether it's a, or, or if it's a professional prize fighter. Um, you see it all the time, and uh, I'm, I'm sure there will be, to a greater or lesser extent, a little bit of that as well. So... You factor that into the equation. There's a whole load of reasons. You put all that in a pot, and that's probably why uh, the ticket sales haven't gone through the roof. Um, you know, I think also it's coming off the back of USC 200. So 
the ticket buying public in 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 uh, America may well have, have done all their money making sure they were over for that because there were three events in three days in the space of a week. Um, you know, they, you know, they can make their money go a bit further and see a lot more fights. Uh, whereas this one, people will, people will be traveling, and uh, really, there's just the one superstar fight on the card. As I said, it, it's, it's a good card, but it's not a superstar laden card. So I think you throw all that together, and I think that's basically why uh, we haven't got that that early buzz and why maybe the ticket sales haven't gone as quickly as they have previously. In terms of in terms of the atmosphere. If they fill the seats in that arena, the atmosphere will be awesome. Um, what you got to bear in mind with the, the last fight, Diaz won that fight and the place went nuts. So what that tells you is that atmosphere wasn't from the travelling Irish fans. That that atmosphere was from the Amer- largely the American ticket-buying public who came in on the day. So you'd like to think that we'll have a certain element of that again. Uh, Diaz's fan base are probably largely in California. That's not so far to come. Uh, and uh, it's obviously a huge fight for him too. So uh, I think I think it'll be a, a bit more 50-50 in terms of atmosphere, but I, I still think we'll have a good atmosphere, though. I think it'll be a good event. I think we'll have a good atmosphere. Will it match 189? No. I can't, I, I've yet to see anything to come close to 189, just in terms of the atmosphere and the level of the fights combined. I think if we get anything close to that, then we're going to be over the moon with it. But I think that's a bit of a that's a bit of a tall order to expect that. Well, that's a pretty good segue into talking about the rest of the card. And I don't want to go through every fight, but I mean, let's look at the, the main card. Anthony Johnson versus Glover Teixeira in, in the co-main event, which should produce the next contender in the light heavyweight division for Daniel Cormier's championship. Then you've got Rick Story versus Donald Cerrone. Hyun Gun Lim versus Mike Perry, Tim Means versus Sabah Hamasi. I mean, that's your UFC 202 main card, right? But looking from the card top to bottom side, is there a fight that jumps out to you? Is there a fight that perhaps is flying under the radar? Um, aside from Diaz McGregor 2, is there a fight that if any, if somebody else is asking you, you know, what other fight should I pay attention to? What fight would that be uh, for you, Sai? It's it, it's a really obvious shout, but Cody Garbrandt versus Takeo Mizugaki should be the third fight on on that main card. Uh, they've made it the uh, the headline prelim, and uh, there's a fair bet that if Cody Garbrandt wins that fight, he will be the next top contender uh, to take on Dominic Cruz. The uh, you know the beef between them has already started. Uh, it started immediately after uh, Cruz beat Uriah Faber. It, it happened out in the back. Um, in in LA, um, and we heard about that uh, in the post-fight press conference that uh, Garbrandt and, uh, and and Cruz started drawing at each other um, straight after straight after Cruz beat Faber. So so that one's building nicely, um, and uh, I think if Garbrandt can get past Mizugaki, um, who wasn't the first choice opponent for Garbrandt, the UFC Sean Shelby um, wanted it to be Brian Caraway. Uh, Caraway apparently picked up an injury, uh, so he wasn't available. They brought in Mizugaki. And the other relevance to it being Mizugaki is Mizugaki is the guy that Dominic Cruz blew away um, in about a minute on his comeback um, from, from that lengthy injury layoff. So there's an instant comparison there. Um, so how Garbrandt does, how will that compare with what Dominic Cruz did? And if Garbrandt can do a similar demolition job on Mizugaki, who is no mug at 135 pounds, then I think you've got that natural next fight just ready and waiting to be made. So 
for me, that's probably the one I'd pick out. But it is a bit of an obvious pick, but I'm kind of a predictable person, so... No, I mean, I, I completely agree with you, Sai. I mean, when I was looking at the card, that's the one that jumped out to me as well, to be fair. And when they first announced the fight for UFC 202, I, w- I was scratching my head a little bit. And the reason was because Cody Garbrandt is from Ohio. The UFC have got a pay-per-view coming up in Cleveland, Ohio, with UFC 203. And obviously, in the main event, you've got Steve Miocic versus Alistair Overeem. And Miocic is obviously from uh, Cleveland as well. They made a big deal of him parading his championship belt alongside um, the, the Cleveland NBA team, the Cavaliers, when they won the championship this year. And I thought they could have really banked on that or kind of rolled in Garbrandt with any of the media attention they would have got through Stipe and could have raised his profile because the big story with Cleveland has been they haven't had champions for God knows how many years, if ever. And then all of a sudden, in the space of a few months, you had a UFC heavyweight champion, you had the NBA champions. And so I, I really thought they should have kept him on that card. And But I understand their thinking. You know, all the eyeballs are going to be on Diaz-McGregor for UFC 202, which means everyone's going to block out their, their Saturday evening or their Saturday night. And they're going to get ready and get warmed up for the pay-per-view portion of the card by watching the FS1 prelims. And for him to be headlining that one with Takeo Mizugaki just means that there should be, you know, a good chunk of people watching that card, watching that particular fight in particular. And then hopefully if he puts on a stellar performance, jumps on the microphone, calls out. Dominic Cruz, then, you know, Bob's your uncle. You've got, you got a fight on your hands. And and he'll have to because TJ Dillashaw's knocking on the door as well. But Cruz did open up on Garbrandt uh, this week, you know, throwing some shade, as the kids uh, like to call it this uh, these days. Um, he gave an interview and essentially said, uh, I like Garbrandt because, one, he's team alpha fail, and, two, he runs his mouth. He's an emotional guy. He's got a goofy part in his hair and ton of tattoos, so he thinks he's tough. I mean, Cruz is one of the best trash talkers in the game at the moment. And um, I'd love to see him take on yet another member of Team um, Alpha Male. Um, he's already beaten Benavidez and TJ Dillashaw and uh, Uriah, Uriah Faber twice. Um, so that could be the kind of the final nail in the coffin of Team Alpha Male. Um, but there have been rumors of potentially Edgar dropping down to 135 and that being a potential fight for Cruz. So I think if, if all things go well for Garbrandt, um, he puts on um, a great performance in the fight and he gets on the microphone and really makes a statement with, with some words headed towards Cruz that should, in theory, clinch him um, the title shot. Um, but yeah, going back to the original question, that is the fight that jumps out to me when I look at the card as well. Yeah, I think that the, uh, the featured fight pass prelim, Neil Magny versus Lorenz Larkin, uh, is also one to watch. Magny's one of these guys who he's just constantly under the radar. He's he's such a talent at 170 pounds. Uh, and I don't know if you saw there's um, a video on on YouTube, one of the UFC videos that's called the Watch List, where uh, John Anik sits down with Sean Shelby and Joe Silver, and they just they just break down the card. And um, Neil Magny offered to step in and fight Daniel Cormier at UFC 200. Uh, he actually made the call and said, I'll do it. <laughs> and, uh, and Joe Silver said, we've got you a fight, don't worry. It's it's okay. But uh, Joe Silver admitted, he said, I know we're supposed to be impartial, but I love Neil Magny. And I think anyone who, who's a hardcore fan of the sport, uh, I think they know where, where Joe Silver's coming from there. This is a guy who, 
He was ridiculously active last year. He wants to repeat the trick this year. And it's getting to the stage where if he keeps going the way he's going, he's going to find himself in contention by default because he just keeps fighting and he keeps beating good guys. And Lorenz Larkin's another one of these guys who, if he beats Magny, then that pushes him way up the division. It's a dangerous fight for Magny because Larkin's a good striker. But uh, I think think it's a great opportunity for Magny to really showcase his all-around MMA game. Uh, against Larkin and if he gets another impressive win it's just another notch and another leg on that ladder and uh, I think uh, you know Magny's one of those guys who he's never going to be an absolute superstar he's not ever going to be a Conor McGregor but the people in the sport uh, if you talk about people who've got huge respect from uh, from within the sport and you mentioned Neil Magny's name I think everyone will nod their head because they all know Um, and uh, so I'm really looking forward to watching him fight on the um, on the topic of McGregor and Diaz, is an interesting little preview uh, or a, a little uh, hors d'oeuvre, if you like, in, on, on the prelims as well. Artem Lobov from Team SBG, training partner of Conor McGregor, uh, taking on Chris Avila from the Scrap Pack, from uh, Nate Diaz's team uh, in, out in, uh, in Stockton. So we've got a little, uh, a little uh, appetizer, uh, Team SBG versus the Scrap Pack. Uh, early on in that fight card, so so that that's going to be interesting to watch as well. But as I say, I think there's going to be some fun fights on this card. We haven't even mentioned Donald Cerrone, which is ridiculous. So yes, you know we've got some good stuff on this card. Um, and uh, but I think you talk about flying under the radar. Pretty much everything below the co-main is flying under the radar uh, because all the talk is about McGregor. And once people start to look at the co-main, Anthony Johnson to share as a number one contender fight, people will get excited about that. But, um, yeah, the rest of the fight card pretty much is flying under the radar. And I think there's an opportunity there for some guys to really make a statement and stand out um, on a fight card that hopefully, even though ticket sales we've heard aren't maybe as stellar as they might be, you can bet this is going to do some serious numbers on pay-per-view and on TV. So, um, you know, there's a chance there for people to really, really stand up and be counted and uh, further their own career uh, with, a, with, with an awful lot of eyeballs watching. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. And you're going to be heading out there to Las Vegas uh, covering UFC 202 for the Sun. I'm going to be at home in London. Uh, I'm actually on annual leave all of next week. Uh, me and my wife, uh, we've got our, well, my brother-in-law, her younger brother in town. So there's a few bits and pieces of sightseeing planned for him. But I'll be keeping an eye on social media and I'll be doing my, my thing on Twitter as I always do. Um, but the one thing I wanted to kind of get into very, very quickly before... You let us know, Simon, what what kind of coverage uh, people can expect from you in Las Vegas. Is I want to go back to Salt Lake City, the event the UFC held uh, last weekend, which was the first of a new uh, the first event of a new deal with BT Sport for those of us in the UK. And one of the uh, new features of this new deal that we spoke about a few shows ago was the idea of being able to watch all of the prelims on UFC Fight Pass. So you've got an option there. After the the exclusive Fight Pass prelims, uh, now viewers in the UK, if you have a Fight Pass subscription to supplement your BT Sport subscription as well, you can stick to Fight Pass if you like and watch the remainder of the undercard. Or if you like, you can just switch over to BT Sport. Now, me, I've always really enjoyed fighter walk-ins and one of the things um, that was always a bit of a bug for me watching the bt sport broadcast was the fact that when fighters would walk out they would uh, cut to commercial break and on fight pass 
you're getting uh, the the clean stream without any advertisements and things of that nature. And for for me, it's a small thing, but watching a fighter walk out, you know, having that music accompany the fighter as as that fighter walks out, that tells me something. That gives me a bit of a read. It lets me know you know, what kind of state they're in. It kind of just gives them that last little bit of information before they head into the octagon. And also, it helps just, you know, add some colour to their personality. You know, with everyone essentially wearing um, the, the, the Reebok uniform or the Reebok kit, it's hard for them to use um, something, anything, uh, to make them stand out to the crowd and to the viewing public. And sometimes something as simple as your walkout song can do something for you. Um, so for me, I actually stuck to the Fight Pass uh, 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 stream last weekend. Um, I wanted to find out, Simon, what did you do? Did you flick over to BT Sport? Did you stick to UFC Fight Pass? And what you thought about the the, the first event of a brand new deal with BT Sport for those of us in the UK? Well, I did. I stayed on Fight Pass. Um, but what I did do, as as, um, as as the prelims were going on, I powered up um, I powered up the BT Sport app on my on, on my iPhone and uh, watched watched them side by side just to see the difference in what happened when BT went to a commercial break. And um, yeah, we did have a situation where BT were cut into commercials and uh, on Fight Pass we were still getting live footage. There were occasions where on Fight Pass we were getting the uh, the old uh, the old hold music that we, we're, we're familiar with seeing before live streams on YouTube. Yeah. But... Um, that was only when the world feed was 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 uh, cutting for the for like worldwide commercial break. So um, the option is obviously there for for broadcasters to drop their own ads on, you know, whenever they see fit. And the walkouts are an obvious place for them to do it because they're not missing any actual live sporting action. And they also know that as a, as a you know they know how long the walkouts will take, give or take a, you know a few seconds. So it is an opportune place to put an ad break. But for the, you know, for the likes of us watching it, we want to see the walkouts. You know, as you say, it gives added, added uh, information. Also, uh, you know, in, in this particular occasion, it was John Anik and Brian Stan. They were giving us valuable, uh, valuable info about these fighters as they were walking in. They were giving us more, more, more reasons to watch, more things to look out for, and uh, giving us the benefit of their research. You know, going into the fights, which. You know, the fans want to know. They don't want to see red corner v blue corner or person A v person B. If you give people a reason a reason to root for somebody, immediately they're going to they're gonna take a greater interest in the fight. So even if it's the fact that someone comes into a ridiculous walkout song and you think that they're absolutely crazy, or they happen to walk out to your favourite song, you're immediately going to side with that person because it's just a natural human reaction to do that. But if all you see is two people staring opposite each other from across the cage, you lose a little bit of that. You know, you, you know the opportunity to to help build those 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 names and those people and and, and to get to know a bit more about them is is lost. So um, all you really see of them is them fighting. Whereas the sport, and this is one of the key things about growing the sport over here in the UK, is to let people know there's a lot more to it than just two people getting in there and fighting. It's the journey that they take to get there. It's the fact that in an awful lot of cases, these are you know these are college-educated athletes or people that have come from an elite um, an elite combat sports background, or even from other sporting realms, and have found their way into into MMA. And learning these stories, even if it's in a forty-five second walkout, can make all the difference to helping enhance your experience of watching the fight. It, it might help you come back, and when you see a name on a fight card next time, and you think. 
that's the guy who used to play in the NFL or that's the guy who walks out to the Karate Kid music or that's the guy who does this or, you know. So when you start to learn about these guys, it gives you reason to not just watch now, but watch the next time. And I think that's another reason why the walkouts are important. And they look cool. At the end of the day, they look cool. So yeah. So that's that, you know, given the choice, I'll, 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 I'll take the fight pass feed all day long and switch over to BT for the uh, for the main card. Sounds good. Well, Simon, you're going to be in Vegas, like I said, um, covering UFC 202 for The Sun. Yep. So what kind of coverage can fans expect of yourself? Yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be doing a lot more video stuff this 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 coming week, I think. I'm, I'm obviously a written journo and I'm going to be writing stuff for The Sun newspaper and I'll be writing stuff for the website, but I think I'm going to try and try and do a bit more video. So I'm going to I'm going to try and do a daily a daily vlog um, throughout fight week. You'll be able to watch out on YouTube, and I'll, I'll be linking to that via my Twitter account at Simon Head. Uh, I'm going to be uh, doing Instagram stories throughout the week as well. Um, I know you tried to get me on Snapchat a few a few weeks back, and I had a bit of a play with it, and I, it, it was all right. I didn't, you know, I wasn't overly overly enamoured with it, but I'm already on Instagram, and I've got a few people following me on Instagram. And, and Instagram have shamelessly just stolen Snapchat's stories feature. Like it's not even it's not even subtle. They've basically nicked it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they have. <laughs> and and uh, it's it's they've, they've integrated it into into Instagram really nicely. And I had a, I had a little play with it the other day when I was uh, watching watching uh, Gillingham play, and uh, just shot a few bits and pieces just to have a play around and see how easy it is. It's dead easy. So. I'm going to be doing stuff on that, so please do uh, follow me on Instagram. I'm Simon Head Sport on on Instagram, um, and uh, so that stuff will be. Uh, I think the way it works, they they expire after 24 hours. Each clip expires after 24 hours. So that's so, right, yeah. So 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 that stuff, I'll I'll be doing that in bits throughout the day, just giving you a bit of behind the scenes stuff, show you a bit of what it's like to be a to be a journal covering this sort of stuff. So that should be good fun. Uh, I'm also going to be uh, so we've got video blogs, Instagram stories, and uh, various other bits and pieces. Uh, Facebook Live, we'll be doing some Facebook Live stuff as often as possible through the week. That'll be on the Suns UFC Facebook page, which is facebook.com/slash UFC Suns Sport. So uh, please do find that page, like that, and uh, again, I'll do my best to try and plug those as 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 I. Uh, as I do them during the week, but it's going to be nice and busy. It's going to be good fun. Hopefully it won't be quite as chaotic as international fight week. Cause I've, I had planned to do things like these video blogs last time. And it just got so nuts that while I could shoot the stuff, there just wasn't any time to turn it around. Hopefully this time, uh, with there only being the one event this week, um, there'll be a bit more breathing room and I can get some of this stuff done, but trying a few, a few different bits and pieces. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be, uh, hopefully it'll be good fun. Hopefully you guys out there will, enjoy some of the stuff I put out there but follow me on Twitter at Simon Head and I'll, I'll be shamelessly plugging everything I do anyway sounds good well let's uh, do our usual quick fire Twitter questions thank you everyone for for tweeting in it was uh, we're recording this on a, on a Sunday morning uh, not usually uh, not usual like on a Monday night like we normally do but um, but appreciate those that were up early on a Sunday morning to get some questions in so quick fire Simon as always and the first one is from Chipper, who says, what's your predictions for Larkin versus Magny? I can't call that fight. It's a very good fight. I'm picking um, 
Neil Magny. I just think his form has been phenomenal. Aside from a loss to Damian Meyer, he's won 10 of his last 11 UFC fights, which is just ridiculous. He's, I mean, anybody else uh, with that kind of form would have probably got a title shot by now. Yeah. And, and I think um, I think Neil Magny, I think if he can maybe just turn up his personality a notch or a few levels, um, he kind of reminds me of uh, Stephen Wonder by Thompson a little bit with regards to just how nice he is in every interview um, and, and, and everything you see and read and, and watch of him, he's just Mr. Nice Guy. And, and sometimes Mr., you know, the, the nice guy does finish last, but I hope that if, if Neil Magny can carry on with his current form, um, he can get the, the respect and, and you know, quote-unquote earn his way to a title shot like, uh, like Wonderboy could potentially do for himself as well. But with regards to the fight, I'm picking Neil Magny. Yeah, I'm picking Magny. I think he might do this inside a distance as well. I think... I think I think Larkin is, is 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 a good fighter. He's he's obviously more dangerous in the stand up, um, but I think I think Magny's all round game is uh, is is going to give him the edge here. And I think I also think Magny knows that he needs to he needs to just up the level just a little bit. Um, you know he's winning he's winning fights by decision. He finished Hector Lombard with strikes in an absolutely wild wild fight uh, down in Brisbane in his last last outing back in March. I think he needs another finish. I think if he can start lining the finishes up, then that makes his case for a title shot all the more compelling. So he's already defeated uh, a top-level guy in Lombard. If he can, if he can put away uh, Lorenz Larkin in similar fashion, I think then we'll see him propelled into a, a bout with a top-five guy. And if he beats the top-five guy, then there really isn't anywhere else for him to go other than to fight for the title. So I have a feeling we're going to see the best Neil Magny we've seen. I just have this feeling that Magny's going to go in there, put on a great performance, finish Larkin inside the distance, and uh, call call for a top five opponent. I really do. I think I think that, that that's what needs to happen next for him. So, uh, but it all all goes down to that win. I think he needs to get that win inside the distance, and I think he will. Jonathan Fox tweets in and says, what's the hold up with the UFC now officially announcing Manchester? And, and of course, Simon, this is a, a bit of a running joke for, for both of us because we think every time we're going to record the next episode of the Brit Pack, uh, we're going to officially be able to talk about the UFC officially announcing the Manchester card. And, and it's kind of a weird one because we've, we've seen Dan Henderson and Michael Bisping both in, in various interviews and with Michael Bisping with his own podcast essentially announced the card, announced the fight for the UFC middleweight championship on October 8th in Manchester. But we've yet to get an official announcement from the UFC. No press release, no press statement whatsoever. And we are now under two months away from that proposed date of October 8th. We're recording this on the 14th of August. That fight card and that event is roughly eight weeks away. Um, the only thing I can think of, Simon, uh, is the fact that perhaps they they need to just get um, the, the ink dried on the contracts, maybe some permits, late-night licenses and so forth with the, the Manchester Council. Uh, that's the only thing that can come to mind when I think about why they haven't officially made this uh, this this this, uh, this fight card um, you know, a release, a press release statement official. But um, but what do you think, Simon? Is there anything else that comes to mind that could be holding the UFC back from making this uh, announcement? No, I, th- I think I think everything is surely surely in place now. Surely, so I, I would be I would be amazed if if the next time we recorded one of these, we hadn't heard an official announcement. It, it's got to come soon. And I said this I said this leading up to. Uh, to the last UFC event, I said that the UFC liked to announce their big events during big events. I thought they were going to announce it during 201. 
maybe we'll get it during 202 um because it has to happen soon it has to happen soon so maybe there were a few little you know i's to dot t's to cross and all the rest of it but you've got to think they're close now so fingers crossed the next time you and i get around a microphone and, and start start yakking about mma uh we'll be doing it in the knowledge that this event is signed sealed and locked in for october the 8th in manchester i certainly hope so because uh, i'm i'm already beginning well i haven't booked anything in terms of accommodation or travel yet i, I, I didn't want to i didn't want to preempt it and then for the ufc to pull a switcheroo on me and leave me out of pocket so i'm waiting for the official confirmation as soon as i get it i'm getting straight on there and getting myself booked up but surely we're going to have an, an announcement soon fingers crossed next time we speak here's my not very bold prediction next time we speak we'll know fingers crossed simon fingers crossed um fuego tweets in and says if cody runs through mizugaki you think he gets his shot against cruz um i think if he runs through mizugaki and he can give a stellar post-fight interview with joe rogan the microphone just to seal the deal that's the fight i like to see happen next for, for dominic cruz um sometimes you know this has been a year of rematches i suppose but i'd like to see a fresh fresh fight at bantamweight and dominic cruz versus cody garbrandt um would be a fresh fight. Um, but yeah, essentially, the answer is to that question, yes. If Cody Garbrandt wins impressively, does his business on the microphone, that's the fight I'd like to see next for Dominic Cruz. Yeah, completely agree with you. I think it's the natural thing to do. I think it continues the whole Cruz versus Alpha Male storyline, which is great. I think Garbrandt will be a deserving contender at that point. Uh, and uh, I think we may also get another contender uh, ready to line up Join that mix soon as well. Obviously, TJ is going to get himself back in the mix. John Lineker is due to fight John Dodson at £135. Whoever wins that fight um, could well be finding themselves in the mix soon as well. But I think in terms of who's next, I think if Cody gets the job done in impressive fashion next weekend, he's got to be the guy. He's got to be the guy. Get him in there next. Right. We have the next question coming in from Sean Condren, who says, are there truth in the rumours that Dan Hardy is up for a fight. Now, I actually had the opportunity to interview Dan Hardy uh, just a, a few weeks ago and wanted to catch, catch up on his health and if he is going to make a return to the UFC and to the Octagon. It doesn't seem likely, If the, the way I read my conversation with Dan, he's, he's got another series of, uh, of tests coming up with docs here um, in the UK, kind of uh, cross-referencing some of the results he's had uh, in Las Vegas. But essentially, we're coming up to almost four years since he last competed in the Octagon. Um, he's really settled into his role as an analyst for the UFC slash commentator. He's got a podcast with John Gooden. He's been doing a lot of PR and bits and pieces for the UFC. He just recently worked with the BBC, which is fantastic to see um, here in the UK. Um, he was working with them on a, on a, di a video diary series covering International Fight Week. And he told me that the feedback he got from the BBC and from BBC Three folks was really, really positive. And there may be some more of that coming, perhaps with UFC 202 or the one he's really trying to push through the pipeline is the UFC's uh, event in Madison Square Garden, UFC 205 in November. So he's got a lot on his plate. And essentially, he told me that because of his uh, his media schedule and some of the PR stuff he's doing for the UFC, he's not been able to actually get some consistent MMA training Um which is obviously very, very important and key not to get too much out of shape. He's able to kind of get his you know, traditional and you know, 
usual strength and conditioning training done, you know, in a in a in a gym hotel um, or a hotel gym, sorry. But that's essentially as far as he's able to take his training at the moment. Um, and like I said, time is ticking on. Um, he's got this kind of wolf heart condition, which essentially means he's got like a, almost like a second heartbeat in in layman's terms. But um, if I'm a betting man, I don't think we're going to see Dan Hardy uh, compete for the UFC in the octagon again. Uh, but I would love to see him get an even more prominent role, whether that's with the UFC or whether that's with a mainstream media outlet like the BBC. Yeah, I couldn't agree more in terms of the media stuff. I think you know it's it's a travesty that he's not been used uh, more than he has so far. Fingers crossed we'll see that improve. Um, obviously, we touched on that in last week's show as well. In terms of him fighting again, one thing that I, you just just with you talking there, it just remember it just sort of uh, led me back to something that he'd said. Um, I believe one of the things that that um, caused the issue, obviously, he's, he's got this thing called Wolf Parkinson White syndrome. It's effectively like having an extra heartbeat. If you look at a cardiogram, uh, you've got you've got two spikes, one immediately after the other one. Well, he's got a tiny little one. I think it's just before the first ones. It's a tiny little one. Um, and uh, they say it, in, in most cases, it does, it's not going to cause you any problem. But, it, you know, there is the potential that it might. And uh, I believe one of the frustrations for Dan is that talking to uh, experts on this side of the pond, they're a bit more comfortable with the idea of him competing. This is my understanding. If I've rec- if if I've... I remembered this wrong then I apologize to Dan but I'm pretty sure this is this, this is how it went the in, in the UK they were a bit more open to the possibility of him competing um, whereas in America they were very much looking to push him down the surgery route and I think Dan was a bit skeptical of the American health system being as it is a very commercial industry um, everything's down to you know, you have to have health insurance or, you you know, you pay, pay for treatment or the rest of it. Whereas over here in the UK, you've got the National Health Service, which is a, a free basic right for everybody over here who pays taxes. So um, it, what it means is there's no financial benefit uh, to the industry for, for, you know, for them to push Hardy into surgery. So uh, I think there's a little bit of cynicism on Dan's part on that. So if there's a fight in the UK, however, it may be that the doctors who clear him or otherwise for a fight would be UK based which might potentially crack that door open just a little bit uh, for a Dan Hardy comeback Um, as you say he's a very busy man these days so and given the length of layoff you'd think he'd want he'd want a full run up if he was going to make a comeback so you never know I mean maybe maybe London next year maybe you know sort of March February March time which is typically when we have a London show um who knows? Who knows? Maybe if if the uh, the UFC are a little more relaxed about it, uh, and and are happy to follow the uh, the medical uh, a medical opinion of the UK's uh, leading doctors, then maybe maybe they might do it. Maybe they might do it if the fight's on UK soil. But I think I, t- I tend to agree with you. I, t- I don't think we'll see him in in the octagon again. But if he does, maybe that's maybe that's the little loophole that might get him back in there for one more. But um, I'd love to see him fight, but then, on the other hand, I would almost be happy for him to retire and just knowing that he's okay. Um, you know, last thing we want is some to come back and then have something happen. So, over and above anything else, you know, we just want Dan to be happy and healthy. So, um, but fingers crossed. You know, we you know we see a lot more of him on TV, whether he's competing or, or analysing. Uh, we certainly need to see more of him. That's for sure. 
Yeah, I, he's definitely not ruling it out. And I've, and I've got a piece uh, on Dan Hardy, on Flow Combat, where he essentially talks about his role with the BBC and how time-consuming that's been. He even talks about, you know, missing Lorenzo Fatita and how, you know, what a good relationship he had with him. And then he went on to say that every time he's spoken about this to Dana White, Dana has been pretty stern about him sticking to his role as a, as a commentator slash analyst and helping the UFC uh, grow their brand and business globally. So when you have the UFC president pretty, you know, rock solid on, on that kind of point of view, um, that's obviously going to be the guy that makes the ultimate decision. But he said he's definitely not ruling it out. And he even went went on to say that if he ever does make a comeback, if he gets the green light and the all clear, he'll just want to pop up on a card out of nowhere. No big fancy press release, no exclusive news being broken anywhere, just out of the blue, Dan Hardy's fighting on the undercard or on the main card of x fight event at x month or whatever um and he want to do it so under the radar that it just catches everybody off guard but but i agree with you like you said first and foremost want him to be healthy happy um we don't want anything unfortunate to happen in the octagon and then look back and regret uh but he is doing some stellar stuff um i think his breakdown show with john gooden is one of the best if not the best and i think he's definitely being underutilized um i think the bt sport could use him a lot more um, I think, um, you know, we'll see how things develop with his relationship and partnership with BBC. That's something to keep an eye on as the BBC start to take more interest in the sport as well. So the final question comes in from our good friend in the Netherlands, uh, Giovanni Tin from the media there. And he says, because Nate Diaz is looking for money fights, will a potential loss be a blessing in disguise for him? And, and I saw uh, some of the, our media colleagues um, over on MMA Fighting almost, uh, you know, in a funny way, discusses on the MMA beat this week. And it's to say, essentially, um, if if McGregor beats Diaz, you know, uh, does Diaz maybe put the uh, the foot off the gas a little bit in the fight and, and, and almost throw the fight? Um, no, I don't think he'll ever, he's ever going to throw the fight. And, and, and actually, sorry, it wasn't the MMA beat. It was uh, the MMA Roadshow. I'm getting my, my, my US podcast confused. It was actually my colleague, John Morgan and Kenneth Hathaway, who were discussing the, the, the possibility of Diaz potentially throwing the fight. That's never going to happen. But can you imagine if McGregor beats Diaz? That would essentially, if we think... If we thought the first fight at UFC in 196 was big, if we think that the rematch at UFC 202 is big, just imagine how big a trilogy fight could be between the two. And I've kind of thrown a prediction uh, piece out there on, on, on fighters only, where I kind of threw up some possible events coming up in the next year or so where you could potentially hold the trilogy fight. And I've said the most likely fight card could potentially be UFC 209. <laughs> in the in the in the spring of 2017, if my maths is correct, UFC 209 should be taking place around March slash April of 2017. So if McGregor does beat Diaz, I think that would give them both enough breathing room for for perhaps uh, McGregor to go back to 145 or uh, perhaps 155. Who knows? It might give Diaz just a six-month break because he doesn't fight that often these days anymore anyway. And he is looking for those big money fights, not really too concerned with the title fight. And you could bring him back for UFC 209. Um, maybe you could even hold it in Stockton, California. Who knows? But but what do you think, Sai? Um, does, does a Diaz loss almost set up an even bigger money fight for the both of them down the road? It, it does, but I would do this differently. And, I, you know, I, I think I said last time uh, on the podcast... 
the most important thing for me should always be the world titles, right? These money fights are all, all lovely and all well and good, but they are kind of getting in the way. And I, I honestly think that a trilogy fight immediately after this one would be too much. I, I really do. I think that trilogy fight needs to have more on it. So what I would do, whoever wins this fight, well, if it's McGregor, because if Diaz wins it, it's two zip, right? He's won the series. So let's let's talk about if McGregor wins. If, if, if Conor McGregor beats Nate Diaz, I put Conor McGregor in against Eddie Alvarez straight away. Then if McGregor beats Eddie Alvarez, you then put Diaz in with McGregor for the world lightweight title. And then you've got your ultimate trilogy fight. Um, I think we can't hold on the... Uh, we can't hold up the featherweight division anymore. I think, regardless of what decisions get made after this fight, that world championship needs to be contested, whether it be with McGregor in the fight or whether it be with someone else in the fight. But McGregor needs to either defend that title next or relinquish. Um, so the most important thing for me is that things move on. What we don't want is just this constant rehashing of fights. Trilogies are great. But they're, they're, they're even greater when they mean something. And a third fight is really doesn't mean any more than this one. Because all it is, it's just bragging rights and it's ego versus ego. That's it. it. You know, there are no world championships on the line. It has no bearing on any weight division in particular. I think put it within the context of a world championship fight, that takes it to a whole new level. And then what you've got is you've got Diaz versus McGregor 3 potentially for a world title. A certain Mr. Alvarez might have something to say about that, however. And if, if Alvarez goes on and beats McGregor, you could still hold the trilogy fight in any way and it would be no worse than if you just followed straight on and did it after this one anyway. Um, but I think you're, you're moving the divisions on and you're keeping things moving. So I wouldn't want to do it uh, while things were being held up. I'd want, to get, I'd want to get the wagons moving again. And if, you, if, if you've got the potential for holding a world championship fight with Diaz facing McGregor, jump all over it. But um, I think he's got a big job on his hands on Saturday to get that win, to be honest with you. I think he's up against it, if I'm honest. Absolutely. And, and that's a wrap, Simon. That is a wrap for this week's show. Um, for everyone listening, we've got a special edition of the Brit Pack coming straight from Las Vegas next weekend. And, and like we said, Simon, regardless of what happens on Saturday night, Regardless of whether Diaz wins or McGregor wins, it's going to be a massive, massive talking point. And because I won't be there with you in Las Vegas, you're going to be doing the rounds in the media room, um, getting the instant reaction um, from our international MMA media colleagues. Um, and, and I personally, I've always enjoyed hearing um, from from media members and getting their kind of expert take on, on the fights and the reactions from fights um, after the events have wrapped up. So you're going to be doing the rounds um, in the media room, getting everyone's uh, instant reactions next weekend, and then we'll be back to our usual show um, the following week. Um, but yeah, I just just want to say safe travels. I hope everything goes well for you uh, in Las Vegas. I'll be looking forward to your coverage on the sun. And uh, and yeah, I look forward to catching up with you in, in a couple of weeks' time. Great stuff. Yeah, thanks very much, mate. It's going to it's gonna be a fun trip, I think. And uh, it's always interesting anyway when you get back to the press room after after a big fight and there's always that buzz in the room, no matter what's happened, whether it's something controversial or, or whether it's a changing champion or 
whether it's a dominant champion just getting another big win, there's always talking points. And there's always something something that's happened further down the card that always attracts attention as well. So I'll definitely be running around and getting reaction from the boys and girls in the media room. And uh, we'll bring that to you in the next edition of the Brit Pack. That'll be episode five uh, from Las Vegas. Thank you so much to everybody who has subscribed to the show already. There are many ways you can do this. You can do this through iTunes, through Stitcher. Uh, you can subscribe through Acast. You can also listen through through SoundCloud as well. Thank you to everybody who's given us a mention on social media, or whether it's on, or even through other outlets. It's been great to be hearing our podcast getting some nice reviews from other outlets out there as well. So big thank you to everyone who's listening and, and giving us the big ups. It's really encouraging for us. We're only four episodes in. We'll keep this thing going. We'll try and build on it as we go. Next week's will be a little bit different. As I say, it'll be from Vegas. Please do send us your questions at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter at Sandu MMA on Twitter. I'm at Simon Head on Twitter. So you can check us out. If you want to listen straight from uh, straight from the SoundCloud website, it's soundcloud.com slash the Brit Pack. That is pretty much all we have time for, for episode four. Next time I speak to you, it will be from the media room at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Until then, enjoy the fights, and I'll speak to you in a week's time. <laughs>